Episode 132 of the Biv and James Isles Show. Moments of Motivation. Alrighty, team, welcome along to episode 132 of the Bevan James Isles Show, your Fortnite podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness, so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. I've got to say, it's it's a bloody freezing day here in New Zealand today. I'm in my office, I've got my heater cranking, I've got my bomber jacket on, I've got my jersey on, it's pouring rain outside, I had a terrible night's sleep because the weather kept me up all night, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm starting with a bit of a complaint about the weather, but you know what? Let's move on. Uh, today's show, what have I got in for you today's show? I've got an interview lined up, but I couldn't get it done this week. So I'm actually going to do a Bevan show this time. And then I'm going to be interviewing in the next week somebody who's been a massive influence on my fitness career. And to me, uh, this person is, well, one of the most successful fitness professionals I know. Um and yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting this person on the show, but you have to wait to the next episode to get this. And there's lots of kind of cool stuff I want to get into this person's mind about because uh, to me, in my industry, I've never known somebody to have such an effect on people and have the ability to draw people to exercise. So it's something I'm quite proud of, something I feel I do very well in my my career, but this person seems to go to another level that even I, you know, haven't even got close to to be honest so I'm really looking forward to sitting down with this person and and just getting some insight because I think also this person has taken a massive passion towards helping people be healthy and so um, yeah I'm really looking forward to getting that on but I couldn't get it done for this week's show so I'm going to do a Bevan show and um, I'm going to I'm I'm actually I'm asked to do a talk I do a bit of public speaking I've got a couple of talks coming up in the next few weeks I'm doing one for my local doctors which I'm really looking forward to there's a thing called pig talks and they're loosely basing it around the idea of those TED talks and with the pig talks it's for um, the local doctors association basically Uh, I I think it's called Pegasus Health and it's the doctors association and so I'm doing a talk for those guys like like a TED talk so it'll be something like 10 to 15 minutes long Um, I really look forward to that and one thing, one thing that speakers can do, it's a bit like a comedian. If you look at a comedian, if you watch their show once, you think they're a bit of a genius and you think it's spontaneous and they're pulling these jokes out of nowhere. And then if you see a comedian's show four or five times, you actually learn that they kind of just do the same show over and over again. And what a lot of comedians will do is they'll design a show and they'll sit in it for maybe a year, maybe a few years, and then they'll do a new show. So they kind of do a special every few years and then they create new content. Well, a lot of speakers do the same thing. A lot of speakers will have their core content. They might have four or five talks that they use a lot. And I, and I know that with my, the way I do my speaking is what I tend to do is I tend to have, you know, maybe 10 talks and someone will ring me and say, look, I want you to do a talk and I'll kind of just, you know, base it on what they want from me. And, uh, but I do like to challenge myself with the speaking. And so what I do is kind of, you know, every six months I just try to design a new talk. And obviously for this doctor's talk, I'm trying to design a new one. And then I'm doing a talk tomorrow night. Uh, we've got a local marathon on in this weekend coming up. And so as a part of the marathon, they've got myself and a local radio DJ who's doing the race to kind of put a, put a presentation together. And um, so I'm doing a motivational talk. And today on the, today's show, I want to actually go through what I'm going to go through in the talk. Now, I think I may have touched on the subject early on in the show this show's been going for about 10 years now so I think I may have touched on this one about eight nine years ago so it, there might be some a message that's happened in the past I, c- I can't really remember but I just thought it's a good chance for me to run through what I'm going to go tomorrow night and there's obviously some hopefully some good insight there as well so that's going to be the main just of today's show but before we get into it I just want to talk you through a really kind of interesting thing that I'm going through in my life right now so uh, Joe, my lovely wife and I, we have recently purchased a new house, which is an exciting time in our lives. Um, and it's funny because we, where we live, we love our area. We love it. We we love we love Christchurch, 
and we love the area that we live in. We, th we think we live in a very special part of our city. And so the house that we've actually bought is literally as a, as a bird flies only 200 metres away from where we currently live. So uh, <laughs> we really have stayed in the area. And it was quite funny because in looking for a new house, we basically said it has to be within a kilometre of where we live. And, and we got to 2Ks with um, 200 metres of where we live. So it's quite cool and exciting. But... We've now put our house on the market, and it's a really interesting thing to go through because we're putting a house on the market, we're going to auction, um, you know, we want to make sure we sell this house in the auction and stuff like that, and it's a real emotional roller coaster ride. And, and, and the reason that is, is, is ultimately what you're going through when you're selling a house is you're kind of going into the unknown, and there's a few things that we need you know joe and i are kind of working through right now it was we, you know like we're not quite sure what our life looks like until we sell the house you know after we sell this house what our life looks like exactly now we, we kind of know what it looks like but there's just a little bit of uncertainty around you know depending on what we get at auction what does it mean for our life after the fact um there's you know there's kind of lots of things that we're processing and you know, one day you can be feeling really excited about the process and in other days you're thinking, shit, you know, what have we done here? And then, you know, just kind of all that kind of journey you're going through. And Joe and I were both feeling, you know, just not distressed, but just kind of a little bit overwhelmed by the whole situation. So uh, last Friday we just sat down and we said, Let, let's just sit down and really nut out all the figures of, of all the kind of situations that can happen. So we basically got the computer out, got the laptop out, and we were in the lounge, and we just sat down, and we got a spreadsheet out, and we just went through every case scenario. We went through uh, what we considered our worst case scenario. We went through kind of medium, right through to our best case scenario. And we, we sat down, and we really looked at this kind of next moment as a mathematical equation. What will happen in this situation here? What will happen here? What will happen here? And so on. And we spent a couple of hours, and at the end of it, it was such a good process to go through because what it allowed us to do is it allowed us to see all the cards on the table in a really, really rational way. It really allowed us to see what all the situations meant. And by doing that, it removed the uncertainty around what would happen based on the different situations and after the after sitting down and doing that the, the the stress we were sitting in now again we weren't overly stressed but there was definitely this emotional roller coaster that we we got off the roller coaster by spending some time stepping back and creating a wise plan that was really realistic around all the different scenarios and seeing them for what they could be it didn't mean that, you know, like there's still, you know, obviously at the auction we want to get the best price we can get for our property because that's to our advantage and it makes our life moving forward a little bit easier. But it allowed us to see the situation and allowed us to get off the roller coaster. And it was just a really cool experience because pretty much since that moment, while we still, you know, like it's kind of when you're going through this process of selling a house, there's kind of you get different feedback loops coming at you and different feedback loops will give you different emotional responses. And um, up until the moment where we did the kind of sit down at the computer and do the kind of spreadsheet, those feedback loops had a massive influence on us. You know, a good feedback loop would make us feel that, you know, achievements are going to do really well. And then a, a not so good feedback loop would give, make us think, oh, no, we're not going to get anything for this house and, and so on. But since that moment of sitting down and just rationally working through and creating a really clear picture of what we have in front of us, the emotion's gone, or, or at least the roller coaster's gone. Now, still, you know, again, we still want to do as best we possibly can. And it's just a really important thing to think about. And it's actually one thing that I learn more and more in life. And you make better decisions when you spend some time rationalizing and kind of see, creating a picture of the world you have in front of you. And I'll give you another good example of this. Um, I do the marketing for my running business. I do the marketing. And um, for the longest time, when I first started doing the marketing, I do like the Facebook ads and I do some Google and stuff like that. And, um, and when I first started doing our marketing, you know, our business did fine with the marketing, so I kind of just did what I did, and I didn't really spend much time reviewing what I did. I just kind of did, and I just kind of copied the same process every time. And then uh, about this time, a year and a half ago, I started thinking to myself, I should really kind of really measure what's happening with my marketing. And so at that time, I just started to I do a report post 
edge marketing. So basically I do a, a new marketing campaign kind of every two months. And then at the end of it, I just started to do this post-marketing report. And once I started doing this, it became so clear the bits of the puzzle that my marketing was letting me down in and the bits of the puzzle where I really were doing was doing really well in. And by spending some time doing a, a, a post-marketing report, I was able to make tweaks in my marketing so my marketing's more effective. Now, as a marketer, one thing a marketer tries to do is they kind of go, how much does it cost for me to acquire a new client? And then what's my return on my client? And once I started doing these reports, I actually realized that I actually wasn't that great at the cost per client. And by spending some time in doing these reports, I got much better at kind of going, okay, well, how do I get my cost per client down? And each time I've done that, I've just learned something along the way that's got me much better at tweaking my ability to be better at marketing. And what am I trying to share with you here? I suppose what I'm trying to share with you here is often our emotions are driven by the unknown. Our emotions, you know, over being emotionally driven in fearful ways and um, negative ways and, and worry and stuff like that is because we just don't have a very clear picture of what we are really facing. Like that's what Joe and I were going through in this process of selling a house is that we kind of had an idea, but we didn't really have a deep understanding of what all the scenarios meant. And so when we got those feedback loops, we were very susceptible to different emotions and it, and it was a real emotional roller coaster. When we spent some time to sit down and to create a real wise picture of the world we were sitting in, that emotional roller coaster disappeared. And why is this important? Well, you know, you've listened to the show, or if you're new to the show, you go back and listen to some of the older shows, but I'm always big on where are you spending your energy in your life? And, and up until that moment where Joe and I did that spreadsheet, we were spending a lot of our life kind of going through this emotional roller coaster. But since then, we haven't. Like, sure, we think about selling the house, but we're not on that emotional roller coaster ride. And to me, that's kind of also what my marketing reports does. It's setting goals. You know, like one of the things I do when I do my goals is that the first thing I say is, the first question I write in my goal book is, where are you in life right now? Where are you in life right now? And just do an honest assessment of where you are in life right now. And it's these types of things that have the ability to keep us clear and rational. Because one of the things I've learned with working with my clients over the years is that often they get irrational because they just don't have a very realistic and clear understanding of where they really are in different areas. And what they do when working with you is you help them to create the awareness of where they are and where they can grow. But also by helping them create the awareness, they get a much better understanding of maybe it's not as bad as they thought and that they can work through this. So I know this is kind of a bit random and it's kind of always how the first part of the show goes, but I just wanted to share that with you today. If, if you have got an area of your life where you're feeling worry, um, you're feeling stressed, and it's partly because you just don't have a very good understanding of the situation. Well, maybe one thing that can really help you is to stop and spend a bit of time just creating a clear picture of what's really happening. Because once you create that clear picture, so like with the house situation, it was a little bit like, okay, well, in all situations, we now know what we have to do and we now know what we have to work through. So it gave us just a clear understanding of the decisions we'll make moving forward. With the marketing situation, it kind of goes, okay, well, here's where I need to improve. And so just a stop moment, creating a clear picture, it also helps us to create a clear path forward. So... That's kind of my little gist or my little thing I want to talk about before we get into the main gist of today's show. But before we do get into the main gist, I just want to talk about the patrons of the show. And these include Rosa, a deeper level Scott. Uh, Rosa's a, a teacher and uh, she's an art teacher and she's also a pretty good runner herself. And she used to coach for me when she lived in Christchurch. So she's a deeper level. We've got Scott, Lead Belly McMillan. We've got Charlotte, Music to the World Bell. Now, Charlotte, I think I saw you the other day. Now, where was I? I was somewhere, and I was talking to somebody, and you walked past in the background. I could be wrong, but I think I did see you. Uh, Rule Street Fighter Branko, and then we've got Josh Complete Grit Alice. He comes and does my pump class. And then we've got Sabrina, the number one pick. Her last name pick. That's a good one. I like that nickname. If you want to become a patron of the show, go to bevanjamesoz.com. You contribute as little or as much as you want to each show. Each time I release a show, you just 
contribute how much you've kind of can you wanted to contribute go there go bevanjamesiles.com you'll see a little link to my patreon page uh, go on there and just go through that process again to all the patrons it really means a lot and it really helps me do what I'm doing. So just thanks to all the patrons out there. Anyway, I'm going to get into the main gist of today's show. Here we go right now. Now, before I get into where I want to go, the stories I want to tell in today's show, I want to make a key assumption. And one of the most important key assumptions that when we look at success, is that consistency is the key to success. Consistency is the key to success. Like you think of any area of your life that you want to be successful in, you need to be consistent, particularly if we look at change. So if we looked at change right now and we said that you want to lose some weight. Well, to lose weight, two things kind of need to happen. First of all, and most importantly, there needs to be a shift in your behaviors around eating. Okay, number one. So what a lot of people do when they try to lose weight is they try to find a diet, they try to find an eating plan, they try to shift what they're currently doing. They might, you know, move sugar, they might have less diet drinks and so on. So the first, you know, so that's the first thing is you you identify the behavior change and then secondly, you want to get moving. So if you want to lose weight, really change that diet and get moving. Okay, so those are the behaviors you need to change. But if you really, really want to get results, you've got to focus on being consistent. Because if you can find a way of eating that is shifting your weight, it's not good if you only do it for a week. It's not good if you only do it for a couple days and then you go back to your old habits. The key is, is consistently sitting in that behavior for a long period of time. When we look at exercise, if you want to get results of exercise, the key is consistency. You know, like, and there's many levels here. It's for the new exercises, it's just the consistency of doing exercise. You know, if you've never exercised, consistently getting out the door three times a week and doing something is going to lead to you getting results. You know, then we look at people who are experienced. Like, I, I know people who have the in and out habit of exercise. They're sometimes there, they're sometimes not. So they're not that consistent, so they don't really get great results. And then there's the person who maybe has the habit of exercise, but they don't have the consistency of effort with exercise so they might turn up I see a lot at the gym you see people who turn up to the gym consistently but they don't necessarily consistently train to the level that's going to get them the results they want but one thing I before I get into the main stories of today is can we all agree that if you can consistently do a behavior that you believe will get you change there's a much higher chance you're going to get that change. So that's kind of the first key assumption that we've got to sit on top of today, that if you want to get results, there's going to be some behavior change, but ultimately you need to sit consistently in that behavior change. Again, if you thought of diet and exercise, if you were to have dietary habit change and have exercise habit change for the positive, if you consistently did those changes for a year, I can pretty much guarantee you're probably in a closer place to where you want to be at the end of that. So that's my first point that I kind of want to dig into. Secondly, I want to talk about this idea of gatekeeper. And now a gatekeeper is somebody who can open you up to a world. And, and let's be honest, right now, there's there's a really bad example of that in society. If we see what's happening in Hollywood and some of the Me Too stuff, the horrible Me Too stuff, the Harvey Weinstein stuff. Harvey Weinstein was a gatekeeper to a world that so many people wanted to be a part of. You know, fame and stardom and acting and, and those things are, you know, it's it's a, it's a 1% game. It's a game where so many people are passionate and, and want to make a career out of it. And, and not many people get that chance. And in this world, we had a gatekeeper by the name of Harvey Weinstein. And Harvey Weinstein was... A pretty horrible gatekeeper because what Harvey did was abuse that position of being a gatekeeper, somebody who could open people's lives up to, you know, something that they really dreamed of, and use it in some horrific ways. And the gatekeeper role is a really interesting role, and and where the gatekeeper role is really important is when somebody is a gatekeeper to a world that you ultimately want to be in. 
And I want to take you back to my journey. So when I first started in fitness, if you know my story, I was a total dropkick. I left school with no qualifications. I became a druggie, an elkie, um, and, and I was really going nowhere in life. You know, I was, I was morally, I, you know, everything about me was kind of at the lowest level. And at this moment in my life, I was very fortunate after a very bad drug experience to have an epiphany that I needed to change. And one of the things that I found at this moment in my life was exercise. I, I found exercise. I got back into exercise in a really passionate way. I remember I had a power rider. I don't know if you remember, it was like an infomercial exercise equipment. It was the most stupid exercise equipment of all time. You basically looked like you're humping in mid-air. You know, your, your arms were pulling back and your hips were pushing forward. It was pretty horrific. But I would do that power rider every day for about 40 minutes because I was getting into exercise. And in my transition away from being a total dropkick, I, you know, exercise became my thing. I, I joined the gym and I was at the gym every day going hardcore. I was, you know, running. I was, you know cycling, I was just doing exercise, was everything in my life at this moment, and at this moment, I, 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 this one helps me went to university, so I went to university, and as I started university, I thought to myself, I wouldn't mind being an instructor at my gym, so I went to a gym called Les Mills, and I thought to myself, I wouldn't mind being an instructor, now, the gatekeeper at that time was a lady called Maureen Baker. Now Maureen Baker. Now to this nowadays, Maureen's the most lovely person you'll meet. And and this the story I tell is a bit hard on Maureen, but that's kind of where Maureen was at at this time, and she'd be the first person to admit it. Um, but nowadays she's she's really grown, and she's actually she was actually a really important person in my career. But Maureen um, was brought up in a time where. It was almost like treat him mean to keep him keen and lead with disappointment in a way to motivate people. Like that you are disappointed in them and they have to prove themselves. They have to suffer to get the opportunity to get through that gateway to be in their world, in the Les Mills world. So I was at university, I wanted to be a fitness instructor, and I got to do this course on being an instructor, and I managed, I actually failed the course first of all, to be honest, and then, but they kept me at it, and I managed to kind of get good enough to eventually get to do a class. Now, when you get to do a class, it doesn't mean you're necessarily guaranteed the job, but they'll give you a bit of time. They'll give you a bit of time to see if you're okay at the job. So I got to got to do my class. I remember I get to do my first ever class. Now, for somebody who had been a total dropkick to becoming a Les Mills instructor, and I've got to be honest, in my local community, in my local area, a Les Mills instructor was something that was respected. You know, like I remember at university, I was at university at this time, and you'd say to someone, I'm going to be a Les Mills instructor, and people are like, oh, really? You know, like there's a bit of social credit around being a Les Mills instructor at that time. I don't know if it is nowadays or because I've been in the world so much, but at that time it definitely was. So for me, to be a Les Mills instructor was a really important thing. And with Maureen being my gatekeeper and Maureen being somebody who led with disappointment, you had to prove yourself to, you know, to, to make it. And, um, you know, they, they, they kind of looked for the bad. I was pretty scared of Maureen at this time. So I get to do my first ever class. Now, normally in your first ever class that you're teaching by yourself, your manager's going to leave you alone. They're going to, you know, they, you know, they, they know you're going to be pretty crap because you are, you, you're a beginner. So you're going to be pretty crap and, you know, don't let them get out there and do their thing. So I do my first class. I'm just about to start the class and Maureen Baker walks in the room. Now, can you imagine how I felt at that moment? Can you imagine how I felt? I felt so self-aware that you wouldn't believe. Like, I would have felt so self-aware without Maureen Baker turning in the room. But when the gatekeeper to your world, in a world that you think is going to shift your life in the most powerful way, walks in the room, in a moment where you would be self-aware anyway, can you imagine where I went? So, I get ready for the class. Maureen stands at the back of the room. And I start the class. And for the first 10 minutes, the class is about an hour long. For about the first 10 minutes of the class, Maureen just watches the class. And, and she gives me nothing. She just stands there, arms folded, and watches the class. And, and again, can you imagine what I'm going through? You know, it's not a good place. So 
she walks out of the, out of the class about 10 minutes later and, and, and I don't hear from her. So I'm kind of thinking, oh, I wonder what Maureen thought. And I don't know if I felt that positive about the class. I was probably just glad that I got it done. The next day I'm at university and I get a phone call from Maureen. I get, I get a message, can you please call Maureen Baker? Now this was at the time before cell phones. I actually remember I had to go use a payphone, which shows how long I've been doing this this job for. And I ring Maureen and I go, hey Maureen, how are you going? It's Bevan here. And she goes, hmm, Bevan. And, and, and the tone let me know straight away that this ain't going to be, you, you're going to be a great instructor. And Maureen just goes to me, Bevan, do you really think you can be an instructor? Now, my heart dropped at this moment. My heart dropped because here was a world where I really wanted to be a part of and I saw that my future had opportunities that, you know, I never thought possible if I could get past this gatekeeper. And what this gatekeeper was saying to me at this moment was, I don't know if you're up to it. I don't know if you're good enough. And, and like a desperate kid trying to beg for for one more chance. I was like, yeah, Maureen, I, I definitely think I can. I'll, I'll work harder. I'll, you know, I was just desperately kind of hoping she'd let me have, an, have more time. Have, you know, I was just begging for time. And, and she, she said, okay, well, I'll let you go on. But, you know, some things you need to work on. And one thing she said to me, and this is a big statement. She said, Bevan, I was watching your class. They don't need motivation in the warm-up. They don't need motivation in the warm-up. That was one of her key messages that she gave me about what I needed to work on. Luckily, Maureen didn't fire me, and luckily I became very passionate, and I worked really hard. And um, I have to admit, I kind of forgot about Maureen's message of they don't need motivation in the warm-up. But the thing I had going for me is I had a lot of energy, and I was a very fit young man. So I was able to become a very successful instructor, and I've always been good with people. So I was good with people, I was fit, um, and I was pretty good at pushing hard in the workout. So I had those three things going for me. So in a very short period of time, Maureen let me stay in the job and I managed to become a pretty successful instructor. I became one of the better instructors at my gym or, or at least got big classes at my gym, which opened doors to me becoming an, a, an international presenter and going around my country presenting and going over the world. And, and within two years, I became one of the top level people within Les Mills. And I remember I went overseas, and I was overseas doing a presentation, I think in America, actually, I think it was in Atlanta. And I was doing a presentation, and there was a man in Les Mills called Mike McSweeney. Now, Mike McSweeney, again, he was a bit old school. So nowadays, when we nurture our people, we love on them, we we, we guide them with wisdom. Well, again, Mike was from Maureen's era, and Mike, you know, Mike, Mike was a hard-ass. Mike was... I'm going to be honest, it was a bit of a prick. <laughs> and uh, like Mike would teach a class, and if someone left the class early, he 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 literally said this. He said, "Why are you leaving it? You need to, you need this the most." Like he he talked with their attitude, but people loved him. He has hard ass kind of non-apologetic. You know, your here to work hard approach was really appealing to lots of people. So he was a very successful instructor. And he was, at this stage of my career, the man in Les Mills. Like, um, Mike McSweeney was the most biggest star in Les Mills around the world. Like, you'd go around the world and it was literally like you'd walk into a, you know, a presentation. This would be hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people in a room. And it was literally like Michael Jordan that walked in the room when Mike, Mike walked in. So one day I'm, I'm in Atlanta, I'm presenting RPM, which is our spin workout. And Mike Mike watches me. And Mike, Mike was really nice to me actually because he was quite hard on people. But because I was an Ironman and Mike really respected hardworking people. And Mike liked me because I did Ironman triathlon. So he was he was never really that hard to me actually. He was actually quite generous to me. So Mike came and watched my RPM class. And, and afterwards he just said to me, Bev, you're doing a good job. But you just need to learn to know when to motivate people. And I, and I didn't really know what that meant. I just didn't really know what that meant. And so obviously from two very wise people, as much as they were hard in their approach, they were two very wise people. You know, Maureen had been in the game for 30 years. Mike had been in the game for 30 years. These people knew how to get the most out of people. And the two messages that I had had was, you don't need to motivate them in the warm-up. And you need to learn to mo- when to motivate people. Now, when Maureen gave me my message, I've got to be honest, I was too young in my development, I didn't really get it, there was other skills I needed to develop, but by the time Mike gave my message, I was ready to really 
understand what he was talking about. And I remember I went back to start teaching my RPM classes and I was just kind of thinking of this idea of I need to learn to know how to motivate people. And this this really shifted the way I saw my classes. So when you're teaching a class, ultimately as an instructor, you're spending a lot of time watching the people in front of you. And up until this point in my career, I would motivate just because I thought you needed to motivate. So I was motivating at times in the track because I thought this was the right time to motivate. But Mike's question of, or, or kind of comment of, you need to learn when to motivate really shifted how I looked at my class. Suddenly I realized that the people in front of me don't need motivation all the time. Like when I looked at my class, there were times when I was motivating, and if I were just to shut up and let the music do their thing, they would have pushed themselves just as hard. That for me, what I needed to learn was, I needed to learn that moment of motivation. That moment they actually needed me to motivate them. So when I watched my RPM class, I didn't just yell at them because this seems like the right time to yell at them. I was watching them waiting for that time when they needed motivation. And this is one of the biggest skills I learned as a fitness professional. And once I got it, I really got it. And I'll, I'll give a quick example. So nowadays when I teach a class, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll often give the terrain. So I'll often say, okay, we've got you know, a minute of work, in front, okay, I taught a class this morning, we've got a minute of work in front of us, 30 seconds of standing, 15 seconds down and 15 seconds up, and I want you to really blitz yourself in that last 15 seconds standing. So that's, you know, you kind of tell them what's coming. And then you let them go. You know, once you've done that, you let them go. You kind of get them to go and you push yourself, you know, you, on that minute. Now, when I was younger, I just sort of started motivating at the beginning of that minute. Whereas nowadays, and once I kind of got this epiphany from Mike, I realized that my job is just to let them do their thing. And what I'm looking for is that moment when they start to struggle. Because before that moment, they don't need my motivation. Before that moment, as I look at them and they're absolutely blitzing themselves, they are motivated, they're pushing themselves. So my motivation at that moment is wasted. And if I motivate them at that moment, when they really need motivation, maybe my motivation won't work because I've overdone it. Instead, what I want to do is I want to look at my people and I just want to see when they struggle. So in an RPM class, it might be their legs start to slow down a little bit. It might, you know, you're watching their movement and so their movements, are, or they just might start to move in ways which show you their body's really struggling. And that's what I'm looking for. And in that moment, that's when I need to come in and teach them or pull them through. That's when I need to come up with some really great motivational tools to pull them through to that next level. And that's where this concept of moments of motivation. A moments of motivation mean that we often don't need motivation. Often we're quite happy to go and do something to a certain point. But then as we go along that point, let's say you go for a run, like, like me, I, I can get out and do a go for a run any day of the week, I don't struggle with it, I just get out and go for a run, but maybe in that run it's getting long and I get tired, or maybe I'm meant to do a fast set in that run, so getting out the door and going for a run isn't hard, and, and putting some music and going for a run is not hard, but when I've got to go 2k at my 5k pace, where it's a little bit hard, that's when I need motivation. So instead of saying, do I need motivation in life, what I, I want to encourage you to do is start to think to yourself, when are the moments I need motivation? So if I go back to my RPM analogy, I don't I don't need to do motivation for people in in the beginning of a track. Like Maureen said, you know, people don't need motivation and might be warming them up. I, I don't need to motivate them when they're killing themselves already. They need motivation at that moment of struggle. Now, one thing we need to identify here that different is that different people have different moments in different areas. And what do I mean by that? Well, let's look at let's let's put a few categories in place. So let's look at the the total beginner exerciser. Their moment of motivation is just getting out the door. Their motive, you know, their motive isn't running faster. This isn't sprinting. Their moment of motivation is just getting out the door. 
So, and actually, if we think back to Bevan's baby steps, which I did in the last episode, it was a lot. One of those steps was just getting out the door, and and, and what I tried to do there is I tried to say make it easier. The the only goal thing you measure is did I get out the door, and then what they do is is make the motivation the success of getting out the door. So for that person, the, the moment is earlier on. For somebody who's inconsistent, I talked about consistently consistency being the key to success earlier, and I talked about that person who comes and goes, the in and out of exercise person. Well, their motive, motive, motivation is might be just to be consistently do it. So it might be, you know, you're meant to do it three times a week, one week you do it once, another week you do it three times, another week you do it twice. Well, your moment, moment, motivation may be to get it done three times a week. Your moment of motivation might be on a really bad weather day. You know, that you're meant to go for a run, but it's really bad weather. Or it might be like I was talking about with myself before, that my moment, here's the word for it, my moment of motivation is doing the hard set when I'm out there running. So we do need to understand that we are all different. And maybe as you're listening to this right now, if you think of yourself in exercise and you say to yourself, I'm trying to achieve higher levels, when would you need moments of motivation? That's a really good thing to think about. Like, are you the person who just needs motivation to get out the door? Are you the person who needs consistency? Or are there certain moments that make you lose your consistency, like weather, like having to do it by yourself and not doing it with a group, those types of things? Or is it to make sure you deliver at that higher intensity? So the first thing you need to understand is, when are yours? But but let's let's put some kind of, criteria around how this works so first of all how do you win your moments of motivation so the first thing we've got to get great at is you've got to see when they are so you've got to start to learn when do i need motivation now when i the example i used earlier was me as an instructor so me as an instructor what i do is i look at the people in front of me and i go when do they need this motivation and that's good because what those people have is they have a mentor who's there to help them see that moment of struggle, to grab their hand and pull them through to the next moment. But ideally, what we want to do is be able to see them within ourselves. So again, if I think of myself, if I write down that I'm going to go running this week three times, I'm going to get out the door and do it. Actually, I remember, you know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, last year I did the Queenstown Half Marathon. And at that time I talked about how I loved training for that race because the training was hard for me. I was challenged by the program that I had to do. And the program basically four times a week meant when I went for a run, I knew I was going to have a fight. I knew that I was going to be struggling in that run. And the thing I was most proud of is pretty much 95% of the runs I did in the program, I achieved the objective of that run. And the reason I was able to achieve the objective of that run was before I went for the run, I saw the moment when I was going to have to motivate myself to push harder I saw okay today you're doing 15 minutes at 10k pace and then five minutes at 5k pace and I saw I I spent some time before the run just kind of future thinking and seeing that moment for it so when we're trying to grow and when we're trying to aim for consistency around growth starting to see your moments motivation where are the moments like Bevan watching his class where I know I'm going to struggle Second thing that I like to think about is that you need to set yourself up for success around your moments of motivation. So little things like, um, you know, like one thing I try to teach my runners, my beginner runners, we do a Saturday morning run. And for a lot of people at the end of the week, they like to stay up late on a Friday night, have a few glasses of wine, watch a bit of crap TV. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if you're a healthy person to do that, that's, that's a fine thing. But if you're aiming to get up at 7.30 the next morning and be running at 7.30, which means you're probably getting up at 6.30, it's probably not setting yourself up for success. And when we think about this, that's what I mean, is that if I know I've got a moment of motivation coming up, what's going to help it make it easier for me and what's going to make it harder for me? And again, the analogy that I actually used in Bevan's Baby Steps in the last episode is that whole idea of the person who's trying to get out the door. If you're trying to, if your goal is just to get out the door and do exercise, and the moment of motivation is probably going to be that moment just before you get out the door, that's probably going to be the moment. Now, if you set yourself up for success, what do you need to do? Well, let's say you're doing it in the morning. Well, packing your bag the night before is a really good idea. Having all your gear on the couch the night before is a really good idea. Getting a good night's sleep the night before is a good idea. 
It's, it's, it's basically allowing yourself to make it easy for that moment where you hit your moment of success or your moment of motivation. So it's thinking of, you know, one thing I talk about when, like, my, I've got a group doing a half marathon this weekend. And one thing I talk about to them is that I do, I do a video that's kind of this mentorship around um, around it. And one thing I talk to them about is I say to them, from the moment you wake up in the morning, your job is to be as relaxed as possible. What I want you to do is you've got to communicate to your world that they need to, like if you've got family, if you've got husband, kids, or if you've got flatmates, or if you've got you know people who are a part of your life in that morning, they need to know that their job is to remove all the stress from your life. So if you've got kids and you've got a husband, your husband needs to take responsibility for the kids. They need to give you the space to be able to relax. You, you know, I often say put some cool music on, just stay chilled. Now, why is that important? Well, if you wake up and you're really stressed because everything's disorganized, you haven't packed your bags and, and the kids are asking after you, and which means you're right, you, you end up leaving late for the race, so then you're stressed, you're not going to get there on time. When it comes to that moment in the race when you have to push yourself hard, you're probably already a little bit mentally fatigued. Whereas if you're relaxed, you felt very calm, you got some good energy in, you went to the race, you, you know, you've done yourself, you put yourself in a really good place. Well, when it comes to that moment of motivation, you've set yourself up for a good chance to be successful. So that's what I mean, is that before the moment of motivation, set yourself up for success. And in my example of when I was running is that I would future think my run, I would think, you know, what am I going to do in my run? I'm going to see what I'm going to do. So that's another thing that you can do. The next step that we have is what we call develop your strategies. So what I mean by this is, what are you actually going to do in that moment of motivation? So you've you've seen it, you've seen that, you know, you're going to go out the door, you've seen you're going to be consistent on a wet day, you know, it's, it's your wet day of training, and you're meant to go for a run, but it's pouring, like, like it is outside my window right now, pouring with rain, it's been pouring all night long, and you heard it on your roof, and the alarm goes off, and this is your moment of motivation. Now, often what happens is negotiation happens, and we lose, and we stay in bed, and we think the negotiation goes to, oh, well, I'll do it later today, or I'll do it tomorrow, or you know, those kind of delaying tactics. But what we want to do is think of the strategies that we're going to use at that time. You might think to yourself, a strategy could be, when I go out for a run in the rain, I always love it afterwards. I always feel real wicked satisfaction in the shower. So that after effect strategy, it might be planning to have wet weather gear because you've thought about the weather beforehand. It might be that you've got to use your best music. It might be that you text your mate who goes running in the morning and say, look, let's meet up this morning. Let's make sure we do this because it's going to be wet. It might be some mind strategies you've used along the way. But what are the actual tools and the strategies you're going to use in your moment of motivation? Now, that's really key. It's really key because those strategies is what's going to get you through that moment of motivation. And if you use really good tools and strategies, you're actually going to win in that moment. And you're going to have the motivation to do the behavior that helps you be consistent, which gets you get the results you desire. And then the last step that we have is learn and grow. And what do I mean by this? So there's three things we're learning and growing. We're learning to become better at seeing when we need our moments of motivation, like the instructor watching. We're getting better at learning how we can set ourselves up for success in the moment of motivation. We're also getting better at our strategies. Now when I say learn and grow, we want to learn from both the times we get it right and the times we get it wrong. Sometimes when we get it wrong, we can emotionally beat ourselves up. What we ultimately want to do is we want to learn from our mistakes. So I have a learn and grow attitude. When we did it right, okay, why did I nail it today? Why was I so good in that moment of motivation? Okay, I used these strategies. I made sure I had this energy. Okay, how can I make sure I duplicate that next time? And maybe how can I evolve this? And then when you didn't get it right, don't beat yourself up. Just go, okay, well, why didn't I get it right? Where did I go wrong? And what can I make sure next time that I can evolve this so that next time I'm a little bit better in this moment of motivation? Now, can you see that if you were to become good at these four steps, that if you were to become like an instructor watching you doing exercise and learn those moments of motivation, and then you learned to see those moments of motivations beforehand and to set up 
yourself for success, you know, like making sure you've got the right energy, like seeing that moment where it's going to be hard. And then in that moment of motivation to use great strategies and then learn and grow from those strategies, do you think you'd be more consistent in the behaviours that are going to help you achieve what you want to achieve? And again, if you believe you're going to be more consistent and you, and you believe it's going to help you get results, do you think you'll be a much higher version of yourself? So that's why the moment of motivation to me is a really, really powerful tool. It's a tool that helps us learn and grow and stick to our behaviours that will give us a place that we like living in our lives. So just to quickly recap, moments of motivation, it's about seeing when you need them, it's about setting yourself up for success so that when you hit that moment, there's a higher chance you'll be successful. It's about using good strategies, good tools at that time, and it's about learning and growing. If you do this, you're going to be more consistent in the behaviors that create the results that you want. And I guarantee that if you're more consistent with those behaviors, you'll get those results. And not just get them, you'll be able to sustain them for the longest period of time. And if you do that, you'll be the better version of yourself. Hopefully you got something from there. Uh, yeah, I love it. Actually, it's, it's, you know, I go back, I talked a little bit about my half marathon that I did and, and that training. And again, if you listen to the podcast around that time, I really loved that period. And I really, you know, it was a really rewarding moment for me in my life because I went back to hard exercise in a way that I hadn't done in a while. And, you know, I, I was really proud of the fact that I did the program and I actually achieved the goal at the end of it too. But um, I was really proud of it because I liked I liked the, 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 the kind of the prep that I had to do and, and the pushing through. And I suppose that's one thing I didn't talk about there was when you, when you do moments of motivation really well, the reward is pretty sensational. Like when you are consistent with your exercise and you do see results, you feel pretty great about yourself. And and belief grows in you and you get those, you know, the good chemicals come out. You know, it's all that stuff. The reward is massive if you can learn to win your moments of motivation. So hopefully you got some really good insight. And, and like all of this stuff, it only works if you practice it. And, you know, like my measure, the thing I often talk about is my measure is, is do you change? And so, you know, like don't just listen to this. Make sure, Put some time aside and do this work. You maybe go, okay, I'm going to focus on my nutrition. What are my moments of motivation? When do I see it? You know, uh, how do I set myself up for success? What are my strategies in the moment? How do I learn and grow? It's a pretty cool way of looking at things. Just lastly, I'm going to, I'm going to pretty much wrap things up now, but I have a quite a bit of feedback on the show that I did last time, which was on the Bevan's Baby Steps for exercise. And I got some really good feedback from some fitness professionals saying they really like what I did. Some people had some ideas on how it can be tweaked, which I absolutely love. It is something I want to develop more, so it's really cool. And secondly, I've, I've created a masterclass for my 5K product. So my 5K product is called My 5K Dream. It's an online version of what we do with my local area running groups. It's designed for a total beginner to run 5Ks. And I'm really proud of this product. I really am. I put so much time and effort into it. What it basically is, is it's all the programming you need. So it's the program, strength. And what I do is I give you strength videos. So it's me taking you through videos of strength circuits, stretches, there's yoga, um, everything you need on the physical, everything, and to a beginner level, okay, to a beginner level, but we also, we, we have everything in this program, we have, um, what else do we have, we have videos on women's health, because it is kind of focused on females, we have runners, beginner runners techniques, so we have a beginner runners technique workout in there, and it basically teaches beginner runners the thing they need to know around their technique, uh, all of those types of things. But one of the more important things is it has it has weekly mentor sessions with me. And these are 30 to 40 minute mentor sessions where I guide you through everything that you need to know to be successful in your journey. And to be honest, this is probably the most important part. Like the programming, the, the physical side of it, I've really made sure people can be successful. And then some of the other tools like the woman's needs videos, like the yoga video, like beginner's technique we actually have an injury video for top sports physio as well so we give you everything you need but the mentor sessions and it's really cool one of the testimonials i did for my 5k dream was with this lady called danny and danny um said to me 
the mentoring sessions were really great because basically you'd go and you'd kind of get to the end of a week because the way the mentoring sessions are done is that the beginning of each week you watch a mentoring session with me and she said it was like you knew what I was wondering about and then in the mentoring session each week you'd always have the right information for me based on where I was in my journey and you know we've trained over 4,000 people to run 5Ks now so we've learned a lot about what creates success and that's when I created these mentor sessions that's what I've done so the product's called My 5K Dream but what I've done is I've actually created a free masterclass and the masterclass is basically an education where you can learn a lot of things that's going to help you be successful. Now, it does lead towards you wanting to buy My 5K Dream, and at the end of it, I do do a promotion towards My 5K Dream. But even if you can't afford it or you, you know, you're know you not interested in this masterclass, I give a lot of insight, and I actually give a free PDF version of the program we use within My 5K Dream. Now, My 5K Dream has a lot more than the PDF program. It has all the videos. It has beginner technique. It has so much more than that. But it's, it's, a, it's a start point. And alongside my masterclass, it's definitely a good place to start. So if you want to see my masterclass, go to my5kdream.com slash masterclass. It's free to go to, um, and it doesn't cost you anything, and there's lots of insight. And if you like this podcast, and it's particularly aimed at people who haven't done exercise in a while or haven't ran in a while, um, it's a total beginner program, and yeah, there's some really cool insight, and I'm really proud of it. Actually, I put it up there, and I've been getting some really good feedback on the masterclass and uh, people have been joining my 5k dream from it which is kind of ultimately what I want because I'm I want to get more people moving so that's what that's all about as well so you can check that out go to my5kdream.com slash masterclass uh, for the free masterclass and again it's pretty deep insight into some of the lessons I've learned to help train over 4,000 people around 5k so that's pretty cool if you want to become a patron of the show go to bevanjamesoz.com and thank you to all the patrons send any feedback to bevanjames at gmail.com spread the word about the show have a wonderful couple of weeks and I'm going to have a cool pretty cool interview for you on the next episode anyway that's me out for now